Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations. My name is Brett English. My name is Ryan Rotego. We've got Stuart Watkins in the house with us. And uh, thank you so much for coming down, brother. Yeah. Welcome. Blessing. Thank yeah. you for having me. Blessing. Can I jump right into it? Let's do Let's it. ask you about, like, how did you go with your, tr your transitioning phase to what you're doing now? Like, were you always in the sort of the spiritual community mm -hmm. or doing yoga classes and thinking outside the box? Right. Or did you sort of start in a more mainstream fashion and slowly get Yeah, into it? I did. It happened both spontaneously, yeah, gradually when I look back, but it felt pretty sudden when I was in it. So I was a personal trainer um, from a young age in my like mid-teens. I started getting interested in health, mainly because uh, I was observing around me just such lack of health and um, a lot of obesity in my direct family and just... Uh, was starting to observe like, nah, this isn't for me. Mm. And I also in my teens was going down a pretty dark path of um, a lot of drugs, a lot of partying mm. and um, kind of learnt the hard way. But that kicked my ass into, okay, time to get healthy, time to get motivated. So back then, even in my teens, I was doing like all that Tony Robbins stuff, and, okay. which was great and love him. And straight out of high school, got into personal training. Yeah. And then gradually through the years of doing that, I was just seeing gaps. I was seeing people getting healthy and fit, but still not fulfilled and happy and like radiant. And just gradually I became curious through the life coaching pathways and then gradually into more meditation, spirituality, and then come like age 19 or 20 maybe, I just um, broke up with a long-term relationship, uh, stopped my job, personal training in Subiaco. It was, I was doing really great, life was great, awesome relationship, awesome work, but I needed to go travel and um, in, uh, being a Perth kid, uh, I wasn't brought up traveling with my folks um, at all. So I was just yearning for it, craving it. And I just stopped working, packed up my bags, took off on a solo trip around the world, which that's what started to really um, fiercely change it into um, something much deeper. And, and that's what gradually brought yoga into my life. Wow. Yeah. So around the world by yourself. Yeah. Backpacking doing everywhere. Yeah, it was great. It was yeah. a great time and it was so good for me. And even just Bali was the first stop. I kept going back to Bali, um, which we can tend to take for granted coming from Perth. But Bali changed my life. Just mm. seeing the locals in their modes of devotion and and just could feel the spirituality. Um, the first trip to Bali was meant to be a party trip, but um, I just became blown away. My breath was taken away by um, the locals and their, their connection to spirit and the land. And, um, and then from there, yeah, through Asia, through Europe, and then ended up in the, in Canada and then California for quite a bit. And yeah, it was great. That's it awesome. it, yeah, it, it like was very awesome good trip. for me. I needed to. Yeah. yeah. So would you say it was a, some sort of like a divine plan or you just ended up in Bali first? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, 
that's the mystery right there. Um, part, pretty much the divine plan. I mean, yeah. it felt all just in in flow and um, yeah. I mean, it, it, of course, it took a little bit of willpower to and discernment to like quit my job and leave that relationship. I could have just kept going, you know, yeah. it was beautiful. Life was good, but there was something deeper bubbling up within me. So it's a combination, I think. Yeah. Little bit of willpower there and decision making. At the same time, the majority, I think that deeper flow, that deeper divine plan. Yeah. yeah. How, how does one, you think, um, cultivate that inner wisdom? To really grow that, grow their spiritual muscle, mm. so to speak, or follow that intuitive guidance system, and not get lost in whatever else is going on. Yeah. Like you said, you can keep the job, you can keep in a relationship, mm -hmm. but yeah, anything you'd recommend to cultivate that? Um, I mean, there's so many things, and we're so lucky in today's day and age. We've got mm. like endless, seemingly endless options, mm. and that is a beautiful thing, but it can also be confusing because classically when people were on like the path, um, it was like a path. You, you're, doing, you're doing Zen or you're doing psychedelics or you're doing yoga, it's like one path, boom. Um, or religion or something like that. Now we've got this massive smorgasbord of options, which is great, but I find a lot of newer seekers get a bit confused like yeah what do i do yeah. do i do mindfulness do i do breath work do i do psychedelics do i do yoga and you can do a bit of each mm. i think that can work yeah i've tried that yeah <laughs> so have i so have i yeah. and it can work uh, yeah it does but possibly finding like a foundational practice to have each day that you return mm. to every day because it's a distracting world. It's so distracting and it's easy to get seduced by um, just all the, all the noise and social media and all the hype. And so having a practice to just quiet the mind and regulate the nervous system. So whatever you're vibing with, maybe it's yoga, maybe it's meditation, maybe a breathwork exercise. And then from that, like, foundational exercise yeah like explore we got so many options now yeah Beautiful, man. Mm -hmm. so would you recommend like small daily practices yeah pretty much okay yeah yeah um i mean for me what's huge is starting off starting off small because uh like people can get overwhelmed and like uh because of that endless options but like even just upon waking, like sitting on the edge of the bed and just centering with your breathing, like five minutes, it's huge. And then maybe bringing that into like a mindful shower, like truly feeling the, the shower. And then you can truly bring it into anything and everything, how we drink our water, how we step, like, which is ultimately mindfulness, just like starting off the day, attentive and connected and then we can bring it into anything and everything yeah mm -hmm. yeah so, so the key is like so yeah. 
how you start your day is a very, would you say that's a very important factor yeah, into, into how you tune into yeah. the day? Oh, sunshine okay. on the face, sunshine through the eyes before 9am. I think that's a non-negotiable to, oh, uh, okay. yeah, I mean, with our sunglasses and our sunscreens and our hats and our windows and our cars and oh, we're, we're getting so disconnected to just the rhythms of the universe and simple things like that, like, um, start the day with a bit of breath awareness, centering, uh, yeah, hydrating the body mindfully, thank you for the body, and then like that pre-9am blast of sunshine through the eyeballs is crucial to mm. get our circadian rhythm dialed in, and then from there it just makes it way easier to be present and to make more mindful accountable decisions and then just you know stopping every hour or two and doing that all again and um yeah. it really can it can just ripple through the whole day oh wow mm. beautiful yeah i'm very excited to um talk about ramdas yeah and how you became a student of his or how that whole un whole thing unfolded sure can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah um the seed was initially planted in my first teacher training in India, I, it would have been 2008 or 2009, yeah, roundabout. Um, and my teacher was talking about Ramdas and hadn't heard about him, um, but I remember just noting or a seed was planted of just the name Ramdas and he was saying, you've got to get the book, be here now and like, just dive into it. So I did, because I trusted my teacher. At that time, I didn't quite get it. I, I was too in my thinking mind and my rational mind, and I was flipping through the book Be Here Now, and it's just so psychedelic and so deep and mystical. Um, and Ram Dass at that time, like he was deep in his aphasia and his stroke so he wasn't talking very well mm. so when I'd look up Ramdas and watch him I didn't quite get whatever I was talking about yet of like Ramdas incredible teacher because um, he wasn't talking fluently at that mm. time I was all very slow and I, okay well what's this all about but a seed was planted and then probably a year later I just became obsessed with him and listening to his lectures online from, from back in the day when he, he was referred to as having the golden tongue. He just spoke beautifully because he was a Harvard professor and then oh, into wow. psychedelics and then into yoga. Oh, wow. Yeah, very uh, multifaceted. Yeah. Um, he was one of the guys that first really brought LSD into, like, into the world, him and Timothy Leary. Um, so yeah, that seed was planted and um, just became obsessed with him, reading his books, listening to his lectures. And then, just because I can be a little bit audacious, I um, reached out to him and his crew and like, uh, I, I, I need to connect with you, like, um, you've changed my life, which he truly did. Was that just by an email? or how Yeah, yeah, and I started doing Skype sessions with him. And then just kept doing them uh, every now and then. And then ended up 
because he, he moved to Maui after his stroke. He couldn't travel anymore and he set up uh, residence in Maui in Hawaii and just kept going there to go on retreat with him. And every chance I could, would just spend all my money to get over to Maui and be with him. And then it got to the point where we were getting there, uh, my family and I were getting there so much that we moved there. <laughs> we moved to Maui for a couple of years and um, we're just with him every other day. We're with him a lot. And wow. Yeah, it was a great time. Very fortunate, very, a bit of luck there. A bit of, again, it's like that divine plan right, of yeah. like, a bit of luck, a bit of willpower to just make those decisions and put my money there and put my actions there. And the rest was that divine plan, that divine flow. And yeah, yeah it, was, it was a beautiful time. That's beautiful. Mm. I remember hearing some rumors about a guy in Perth who was trained by Ram Das and I sort of didn't believe it. I was like, oh, mm. you know, but no, he's sitting right here. It's yeah. pretty, pretty amazing. It's yeah. Surreal, yeah. What were some of the, the teachings that really stuck with you, that really stand out from him? Well, again, like from his earlier days, all the endless hours of lectures of diving into them. I mean, there's so many, so many, it's hard to pick one. Yeah. But then in his later years, the kind of final decade before he passed, it was all very deep and simple of cultivating love. And he had this potent ability to just be in a space of unconditional love. That was it. That was, that was the main thing. And again, he wasn't speaking very much in his later years when his aphasia was really bad. Often a long time would go by in between words, but still uh, his students would rally around him and just, and just bask in that love. It was no longer about the teachings and the words. It was just he was embodying this palpable, potent vibration of love. Wow. So that, that's the main thing. Just and that, you can that. really just feel, feel that yeah. really presence. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And people would be just opening up in tears, breaking down in tears, um, in, in bliss. There'd just be this beautiful vibe of love mm. and bliss. That's, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. When I went to one of your classes with um, Sonny, it's in the city. I don't know exactly where it was, but it was almost 100 people. It was huge. And you want to say, I've never seen anything like that on that scale. And I thought, well, because I sometimes I think I've got a big room filled with people who are in the spiritual community. I can get a little bit anxious or yeah, my energy is a bit off. Be a I walked in and it was just absolutely clear and smooth and beautiful energy. I'm like, whoa, mm. that's, that's a nice nice change so oh, yeah that's cool. crazy yeah mm. how do you do you work with that energy intentionally like how do you set up a room um to hold that kind of space and energy mm. for people yeah it's a good question um a little bit of it is intentionality and like uh like you know we'll get there hours before the event and mm. part of it is like getting the logistics in place and we take a lot of musical instruments and Part of it is like getting that all out the way. Mm. So then we can like, cause you know, we haven't been in there in months. It's all like, uh, you know, lots of shit goes down in there of like mm. um, corporate things and meetings. And so there's a kind of almost dusty type energy in there. So we 
literally clean the space and smudge it with white sage and sprays and so get that vibe flowing yeah. more on a, um, even just cleanliness level and then a more like a, aromatic level and then and then we get into a good zone you know we'll we'll rally like cam and i my brother and i and, and the musicians they'll be like getting into their zone and cam and i will just meditate for a good solid depends on how much time if we're really on the ball we'll have a good hour of just like meditating and getting into an awesome zone so then the rest is like there's a, there's a more harmonious energy to to walk into beautiful so it's mainly now like yeah preparing the space but mainly preparing like my energy just mm. so it's calm and relaxed and inviting and loving I try to just remember the vibe Ramdas would embody, you know, mm. and um, just uh, relaxing, loving, non-judgmental vibe. Beautiful. Yeah. Is it possible to tell us about a time that um, you had the biggest breakthrough, whether it was Bali or with Ramdas, or something that you were sort of working with within yourself, like a biggest obstacle or the biggest fear, mm. or something that was holding you back from your fullest expression? Did yeah. anything come to mind when I asked that question? Yeah. Um, a few things like I, I grew up being a very nervous anxious kid I hated being like wrong and I hated putting my hand up to ask for questions and being wrong just all that was very thick in my mind and my nervous system and the, the, the whole people pleasing thing mm. so mainly that but in terms of like a peak breakthrough, I can't quite pinpoint it to like a moment. Mm -hmm. It felt like for me, um, just like chipping away at these like knots within my conditioned mind that were holding me back. So it's the, yo the yoga for me of like working with my anxiety and working with the knots of fear and doubt and putting breath there and putting movement there and attention and for me it was chipping away at it and then the the occasional like peak moment was more a deep insight and remembrance of like true nature or, or freedom um, which then further just allowed all that old conditioned shit to wow. release. Hope you don't mind I'm swearing no, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, we swear all the time. Okay. Not today. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a bit very blissful, but yeah, go mm -hmm. for it. The other thing is you, you were saying that you were sort of meditating or intention or setting your intention on freedom or certain things. Mm -hmm. Were there certain things you sat down and meditated on or took within your day? What, yeah. You said freedom there, so mm -hmm. you were trying to embody that word. I think yeah. The early days, it would be gratitude practices and compassion practices and like um, trying to steer the mind into the direction I wanted to. So the, the gratitude practices really helped me. Later on, it became a little bit more just, yeah, f the feeling of freedom, mm. which... Uh, required for me like 
the occasional taste of like, yeah, that freedom beyond thought, that freedom beyond needing anything, that freedom beyond fear and doubt, having the occasional like taste of that. And then having these mindful practices of gratitude, of compassion, mm. helped to steer my attention back to that innate freedom, if that makes sense. Kind of, yeah. yeah. What, what gave you those tastes or those mm -hmm. insights just momentarily? Well, spontaneously, it all began back in, um, back when I was 15, having a drug overdose, like, oh, yeah. to oh, be wow. honest, yeah. Like, what kind of drug were we talking about? Um, that's okay to ask. Yeah, I was deep into raving at 15. Oh, and yeah. I was at taking, 15. Yeah, so, and... Okay. Um, Some Molly, Molly water? Yeah, yeah so yeah, I was yeah, having yeah. ecstasy and um, I, I'm, I'm quite certain because a few people had this particular pill that I think it was a bad, bad batch going around that had mm. kind of tranquilizers in it and I think a bit of heroin in it and it just smacked the crap out of me. And... Um, uh, as far as I'm aware, it was a very near overdose because it took a long time to recover. Wow. So that night was just, I was paralyzed and foaming and blacking out. And it really felt like a near-death experience. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it was full on. It changed me. It changed me. Pretty much um, just kissed death on the forehead. Yeah. yeah back, right? So I was like this pale, skinny, gothic-looking skater guy. And then when I recovered from that period, people literally didn't recognize me. I got healthy, I got motivated, started enjoying school, everything changed. Wow. Well, so okay. that was actually the beginning of it all. That mm. spontaneous uh, moment of, of, yeah, kissing death, what really felt like it. But also like the moments leading up to that, um, as much as I do not recommend teenagers or um, just the amount of crap I was putting into my body, like mm. I'm lucky I didn't die, you know. Um, at the same time, that exploring of consciousness, mm. I'm grateful for that time. Like yeah. um, it, it helped me break through a lot of the just kind of boring confines that I had in my mind. Yeah. And yeah, just the, the combination of the raving and the drugs and the skateboarding. Um, they were great times as yeah. much as I do not recommend it <laughs> and having young kids and um, yeah, that, that I, I, I would not promote, I don't promote it. At the same time, mysteriously, I'm thankful for it. Like yeah. it, 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 it put me on this path. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. I remember back in the day when it was like um, Future Music, Stereosonic, and all these festivals all the time. I had some bad experience with different pills and stuff like that that sent me sideways or thought I was dying yeah. at the end of Stereo 2014 and I haven't touched a drug since then. Yeah. But when you, when you cross that limit and it's like, whoa, my body's not feeling good and gone hot mm -hmm. and gone cold and hallucinating, yeah. it's, it's scary because it's like you feel like you can die any second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it does change you as a person when you realize, oh, shit, I'm immortal. I can die. And you sort of, your rebirth in a sense. Totally. You know, yeah. Not by the holiest of ways, but mm -hmm. yeah. it works out, right? Yeah, the mystery. <laughs> totally. And how old are you now? 38. 38. Yeah. Wow. Damn, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. You look very young. 
Oh, thanks, yeah. brother. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, it is a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are some things you do to keep your body, um, just keep your body maximized, looking young, looking healthy, mm. um, all your, just your health? Mm-hmm. Like what, are the, what are those practices you've got, including your I got health? a lot. I do a lot. <laughs> but um, so you want me to run through what I do? I, I love that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, good water is like key. I, I really am. Um, Prioritize good water, so I, I, okay. I saw spring water from um, from Apostles Water. Apostles Shout water. out, actually, because I've been getting spring water from them for uh, a long time now. Uh, so good water, hydration. We got the coconut water here, which I love. Um, little morning practices, like I talked about before, of getting that mm. sunlight in the eyes before 9 a.m really good for our health like we we need that 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 blast of of that sun energy um grounding practices uh, regularly getting my feet on the earth um regular moments of relaxation Mm. so connection to the breath to to regulate the nervous system and deal with stress that's key doesn't matter Again, that was one of the insights when I was a personal trainer is all these people are getting healthy and fit, but they're still stressed out and then they're not happy. And mm. I'm seeing a lot of abundance, a lot of wealthy people, but hang on, actually not happy. So um, that really does help when we've got a bit more mastery of our nervous system and our breathing. Then we've got more mastery of our mind and we can... Mm tune into fulfillment and happiness and joy beyond all the stuff yeah. so like some kind of breathing exercise really um is crucial and then of course um healthy eating so i like to have apple cider vinegar and lemon water and lime water first thing in the morning last thing at the end of the day okay. um, as a foundation just to get the gut bacteria cranking to alkalize the body um, and then there's heaps from there um, I'm a big fan of like sprouting foods and fermenting foods and getting that real alive food in the do, body do you do those yourself or yeah you? oh, wow. yeah okay. especially the sprouts um, alfalfa sprouts broccoli sprouts um, every day okay nice. heaps of them yeah and sprouting galore um, if I'm really on my game, I'm, I'll do the fermenting myself. But more often than not, these days I, I buy the like fermented yeah. cabbage and ferme- uh, the kimchi and all that. They're good like foundations mm. of getting the gut cranking. Many of us, um, our guts have just been hammered from yeah. dead food and Pizza. antibiotics and ibuprofen and yeah, all, like crappy wheat and that. Um, yeah, so I've definitely had periods of being like neurotic about health and taking it too far in like, can't just relax and like go out for a pizza with, mm. with like I wasn't relatable for a period there. Oh, I was like, okay. nope, yeah. that's not gluten free and that's not vegan and it's not healthy. And, <laughs> and I, was, I was neurotic. I took it too mm. far. Yeah. But I'm glad I did. It was a learning curve of like how clean you can live life. Mm. But I took it too far and, and fell into that trap of trying to be too pure. Yeah. You know that whole thing? I don't yeah. know if you see that a bit around. Nah, I had a phase, but yeah. Yeah. it lasted about six months and a half. Yeah. 
I almost died. Like uh, I needed pizza. Like yeah. I think I went fully vegan and like had just the diet was so meticulous and mm -hmm. I felt really good. But after a while, um, after six months of being vegan with absolutely no meat, mm -hmm. I was getting very lightheaded and I felt very weak within my yeah. body and I didn't right. understand what was going on because I thought it was the right thing to do. But I realized if I could just have certain moments where I do have meat or do indulge, it does help me to maintain my energy levels or feel a little bit stronger within. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't really gone back to that since. Right. Yeah, yeah it's the same for me. Like, it's um, about balance. So mm. I live a pretty clean, healthy lifestyle, but then, <clears throat> I mean, for a few years there, I gave up alcohol, gave up all caffeine. And for me, that was crucial. Mm. In um, I had these fatigue patterns that kept coming up, chronic fatigue. It really helped me in just re like just clearing out a whole lot of crap and cleansing and renewing. So I'm glad I had that few years of like being quite anal about living a healthy lifestyle. Then integration mm. has been key of like, it's, it's got to be an element of fun and playfulness in it. Sure, and yeah. part of that for me is food, you know, like mm. um, yeah. <coughs> celebrating life with, with, a, with a good meal with friends and mm. Having a drink, like I love a good tequila. Um, for me, that's like my alcohol. I, I could almost say, like, if it's a good tequila, it's almost a health drink. Almost. It was really <laughs> good. Yeah. I do love a really good spice rum, a right. spice rum. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like, I don't drink much, but like on a Friday and or a Saturday, my wife and I will connect over a couple tequilas, and it's mm. super good for us. And um, mm. just like. It's mildly altering and sexy and fun, and um, that's been good for me because awesome. I took it too seriously for a while there. Mm -hmm. So now, like, there's there's that balance of like taking life sincerely but not too seriously, as yeah. Alan Watts was famous for for saying. Yeah. Um, so got to keep the playfulness at the same time healthy so it feels yeah. nice and balanced yeah um, with things like your meals do you do intermittent fasting or do you do fasting mm. at certain periods yeah and um, what, what is your opinion on um eating meat and if you do eat meat should it, should it be organic grass-fed mm -hmm. things of that nature yeah i'd say i mean i know it's not your scope of, of, of field well I've, i'm passionate about it yeah and i definitely have had periods of like nutrition was like it mm. um that was like one of the first moments in back in PT days of just mm. going a bit deeper into the nutrition piece. Yeah. Which um, since those days, there's been many um, different like fads and movements and mm. it's always changing. Yeah. But the paleo and carnivore thing is pretty, pretty big right now, um, which I understand. I, I haven't done that as a, as a practice yet. I may, who knows? I, I doubt it. But yeah, good meat. I mean, if it's mm. just mass just uh you know factory mm. factory produced meat that the cows have had a shitty life fed on grain and mm. full of antibiotics and shit you don't want to i mean not only is it a shit life for that animal but then we're we're ingesting that spirit and that all those chemicals and mm. um yeah so Definitely would yeah. lean to a, a healthy animal if we're yeah. eating animals, no doubt. Um, yeah, what was the other question? 
Uh, fasting and intermittent yeah, fasting. Yeah, fasting, fasting. Um, yeah. Big fan, without yeah. a doubt. I think we eat generally in our culture, we eat too much, mm. too much every day. Um, and it's fucking with us big time when we are just constantly okay. feeding the body. Um, we've never done that before. Mm. And it fogs the mind. One of the main, like, for so long, fasting, it was a spiritual practice mm. of like to, to purify and quieten the mind. Because once you get on that kind of other side, beyond the hunger, mm. a really um, beautiful shift can happen where we can cultivate a lot of clarity. Because if we're like, especially carbs, if we're just constantly getting that yo-yoing of our blood sugar, um, we're never really full. There's always this kind of unsettled, unsatiated feeling. And the, the, the fasting just really helps that insulin balance out, that insulin receptivity, um, helps the gut replenish, mm. helps the mind. Um, and then we get this phenomenon of autophagy where if we fasted long enough, we get that awesome cell renewal. Mm. So... Um, Oh, a big fan. When does yeah. that sewing you come in? It varies a bit, but apparently for most people, it starts to kick in at about that 16 to 18 hour mark. Okay. Which oh, is why... 16 days. No, no, well, that, that's one of the reasons that the uh, 16 to 18 hour kind of intermittent time mm. is uh, really popular. Apparently it's because of that kind of time frame of autophagy kicking in around mm. about then. Yeah. Okay. How long mm. would you usually recommend someone to do a fast if you wanted to fully clear the system? I mean, you want it to be... I think it, it depends on the person, you yeah. know? Like, if it's, re if it's someone that's really um, overweight and they've, um, they've never done anything radical in changing their eating patterns, it's going to be really tough for them just getting to, like, possibly even just 12 hours or 14 hours. Yeah. That can be really tough for people. So um, possibly starting at 12 to 14, getting somewhat comfortable with that. Yeah. And then you want to nudge it to that 16, 16 hour mark. 16, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that give the body a nice gap of not feeding it constantly. But I like to... Um, Typically for me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I push it to about 20 hours. Yeah. And then um, I don't do it. Because for a while there, I was doing it every day. And I was starting to feel that it wasn't optimum for me. Yeah. So I'll do the, the time restriction, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, typically. And then Thursday, Friday, weekend. Um, I t tend to not do it. And... Um, maybe just bring in elements of it and around about 14 Ooh, to okay. 16. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, wow. what feels good for me. Yeah. Um, everybody's different though. Everybody's different. They got to tune into it for themselves and find out how much they actually need yeah. for themselves. Yeah. And um, a big part of it for me is like being comfortable in the discomfort because it's yeah. uncomfortable being hungry yeah yeah and we're so privileged that as soon as we're hungry we can just press a button have something delivered or go down to the supermarket yeah. yeah and it gets us so fragile and 
it's not good for us. Yeah, I really yeah. don't think uh, we've become so um, yeah, so fragile in that in that privilege of just having food. And um, COVID really magnified that for me when yeah. there were, there was a lot of. Uh, uh, potential of food shortages and that and I was like holy crap I'm so not um, kind of self-sufficient not in yeah. a big way anyway so yeah. fasting for me is a part of unlocking that that deeper like primal sufficiency it's okay to get hungry it's actually good for us to get hungry yeah it makes us more alert and makes us more vibrant and um, yeah Mm. So I'm a fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel um, there was some, I think they were talking about um, water as well, where if you don't have a certain amount of water with, um, I think it's a liter, a liter, 1.2 liters, you start experiencing brain fog. Mm -hmm. So when you said hydration is very important, I was like, okay, cool. Hydration. So when you're doing your, when you do your fasting, do you always make sure you get the right amount of hydration? Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Okay, so you would never yeah. do a water fast and a food fast at the same time. So no water, you saying? Like yeah. Dry, dry well, I mean, yeah. if you're, uh, I think if you've adapted enough and you're confident with it, um, anything can be done stupidly, you know. Yeah. But if you're, uh, like, I wouldn't recommend it if you're new to it and you got a busy day of work and you're driving around and stuff like that. But if you've adapted and you've gotten used to fasting, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for pushing it, you know? Oh, okay, we, yeah. we can handle a lot. And um, if it's done with the right set and setting, yeah. it can be incredible. But if it's done um, stupidly, we can pass out. We can, uh, we can, it can really be, be destructive for yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind if I chat to you about something about yeah. um, God and spirituality? Sure. During these fasts or during certain moments in your life, have you ever had an experience that's quite profound in relation to God or spirit and things of that nature? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very broad question, I know, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. It, every day now. Oh, really? That's what the yoga practice is. That's what meditation is, is, mm. is getting in touch with spirit, getting in touch with God. Wow. Um, and that's, again, one of the, ma like, spiritually, religiously, that was one of the main purposes of fasting mm. is to um, purify, to sit with the, the hunger and what's on the other side, what's on the other side of all that hunger and that uh, compulsive activity of our mind and um, all of it for me is mm. to get deeper in touch wow. with spirit, no doubt. Yeah. 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 And what does that generally feel like or work out for you? I mean, it's mm. different every time. Do you ever get sort of visions or connections or you sort of feel the presence? Like, I know in different religions they talk about people yeah. who fast, like Jesus or St. Paul mm. or whoever, and they had these really amazing moments. Yeah. Anything like that ever happened to you where you're sort of really yeah. visceral? Or you're totally, yeah. Um, yeah. So for starters, uh, I've... I have delved deep into psychedelics and for typically, especially ayahuasca and, and mescaline and um, magic mushrooms, that's all very visionary. Mm. And uh, that can vary depending on the medicine and depending on my mind, depending on what's going on. But yeah, yeah had many, many real 
visionary experiences with psychedelics, but also um, just with meditation. Like yeah. we've got all that, all the circuitry that those psychedelics in particular, uh, like DMT and stuff like that, we've got all that within us. Mm. And pranayama, like the yogic breathing, um, usage of sound, like mantra and sound healing mm. and meditation, and even yoga postures really can unlock that, that visionary experience. So, yeah, I've had quite a few peak moments of, you know, fractally interconnected, undeniable uh, visions and feelings of mm. oneness. And, but wow. never like an anthropomorphic kind of thing of the classic God in the sky looking down at yeah. us. Um, no, I, I grew up as a Jewish kid um, that actually hated it. I hated going to um, shul and I just felt, uh, all as a kid, I just felt um, grumpy adults around telling me what to do and I rebelled against it. Mm. So I definitely have a bit of, um, not really a chip on my shoulder, but that dogmatic anthropomorphizing of God yeah. I don't really vibe with. At the same time, I get it. I just don't vibe with it. Um, so that label's been a bit tarnished, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so for me, God is love. Yeah. God is that interconnected love mm. energy. Yeah. Beautiful. And just through meditation or intention, you can really channel that and embody yeah. that. Yeah, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, man. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you, sorry, in terms of like your connection with yoga, what is the biggest lesson that you have ever learned in terms of the connection of your mind and your body while you're doing yoga? Mm -hmm. Biggest lesson? Oh, it's a big one. Um, the biggest lesson. Big gap, big pause. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what, I think one of the biggest lessons has been that these, we're, we're lucky to be in these bodies, like that, that's, that's a gift. I think that has been one of the biggest lessons yeah. through the yoga practice of, of working with the body and working with the breath, having a real immediate experience of like, I am not the body. Yeah. I've been given this body. Let's have an awesome time in it. Let's make the most of it. At the same time, I'm not the body. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, that's huge. It's been so huge for me in working with, like, insecurities and working with anxieties and doubt of having yeah. that real inside of, like, I am not my body. So uh, anytime I'm feeling like someone's judging me or observing, that, that becomes no big deal. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's their own shit. And if I'm judging someone else, that's, that's my shit that I should be willing to work with. Yeah. So that insight of I'm not the body, I'm not my thoughts. Yeah. Biggest one, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
kind of like um, the realization that is the of the of the human of the human experience and the spiritual experience. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. How long? Yeah. At what point did you truly begin to connect with yoga? Because at least for me, when I first started yoga, it was just more of like a practice that. I know that I should do, and when the benefits that I got out of it mm-hmm. was more that um, if I was really tight somewhere, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, this has really helped. Yeah. But at what point? When? What? At what point did you have that experience where you're like, holy shit, there's so much more mm-hmm. to this than just the physical when you're doing yoga? Yeah, there was a real beautiful moment in a class in Canada. So I'd been doing yoga a couple years and similar to what you were just saying. It was something I would just do. I was doing it. I felt tight. I felt fatigued. It was good, but hadn't really had a mystical experience with it or a meditative experience or anything like that. And then this one particular class, I was in Canada, and um, this beautiful teacher, Angela Jarvis-Reed, was teaching and um, she was just saying the right words, it was the right cadence, it was a great vibe and uh, it just felt so good and then come Shavasana, just laying down at the end, it, it was beautiful and um, it, was a, it was a peak experience that I'll never forget of like dissolving into nothing yeah. and it wasn't sleep because that's Forgettable, even though sleep is incredible. Yeah, we, you know, it's different to a like uh, a meditative experience. So uh, that shavasana, that that's what changed the trajectory of yoga for sure, yeah. and became obsessed with it more in the spiritual aspect because I had that taste yeah. in that shavasana. Yeah, yeah, and you wanted to share it with other people yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was your How was your first actual class? jumping from being a student to a teacher. Right. Um, well, I was kind of used to it with the personal training. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I was training clients one-on-one. I was teaching group classes. I was used to that. So it wasn't too big of a leap, actually. Yeah, yeah which I'm, I'm grateful for that because it can be really challenging if people have gone from um, not doing any of that and no public speaking to all of a sudden um, being in front people teaching a class. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Can I pivot a little bit as yeah, well sure. for this one? Um, being a critical thinker yourself and having so much experience in, out in the world and traveling, what do you think is really happening at times like um, now with like, you know, the talk of wars and the COVID situation and just everything in the collective? What do you think is really happening behind all of that? And how do we sort of navigate through all that incoming propaganda, so to yeah. speak? Yeah, it's a lot, huh? Mm. It's a lot. And, um, I don't really have an answer, and I'm not going to pretend I do, but as Ramdas would say, all we can really do is work on ourselves. Like, really. Like, we could be up in arms and being an incredible activist, but if we are unregulated within our nervous system and we're just an angry, righteous mess, that activism isn't doing shit. It's not doing anything. It's just projecting more anger and paranoia out into the world. So kind of like we're advised on an airplane, like before helping out others, you've got to put on your own gas mask. Yeah. It feels like a similar analogy for life. Before we can 
do too much to help the world. We've got to, or as Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm. Um, we got to be it. Otherwise, the world's not going to change into the direction we want. If yeah. we're still angry in a way that we haven't brought conscious, anger's fine. Anger's natural. Let's mm. not pretend that I'm angry about a lot of shit. But that's part of why I do these practices each day mm. so I can work with the anger. And to, so I'm not an angry dad and yeah. so I'm not an angry just mess out in the world. Work with our anger, work with our neuroses, um, be the change we want to see in the world. I think um, that's why we do these practices. That's why we do healing. That's why I do it all. And then maybe from there, um, I keep referencing great teachers because I'm so lucky I've had great teachers. Mm. But in a similar regard, Jack Cornfield talks about um, the world being kind of like a garden and, and work with the part of the garden you can touch. So mm. some people feel that compulsion to yeah, be, a, be an activist and really get out there in the world and make change. Um, if you're doing that, do some practices, get yourself all vibing. Don't go out there an angry mess if possible, you know, mm. otherwise you're just doing more of the nonsense. Yeah. Um, some people, it's just trying to be a conscious parent, trying mm. to like raise beautiful kids, you know, which I feel is part, potentially part of it. Um, for some people, it's like, like we're, we're, we're investing in this eco-village down in Witchcliff, Margaret, Margaret Riverway. Beautiful. And um, for that, that feels part of like a new vision, mm. uh, you know, like community. Um, so community is huge, you know, creating and putting energy into beautiful community, great conversations. Mm. Um, I think we got to watch ourselves with social media because... Uh, that's a rabbit hole that can just screw with our perception of life. Like as we look around right now, life's pretty good. So, you know, tend to the part of the garden we can touch. Like, are we just on our phones freaking about this, that and the other? It's understandable and it's seductive. It's so strong. So that's a part of it, like managing our use with social media. Because if we are just eating potato chips and just on the phone freaking out about all the shit going on, um, we're not really much good. We're just creating this kind of cesspool of, of stress and mm. paranoia and hate. And no wonder there are these just massive echo chambers of hate within the, the social media platform. So managing that, um, be the change we want to see in the world, mm. and then do what we can, you know, do what we can. Yeah. And whatever that inspiration is flowing. And if we have taken care of ourselves first, we'll be more receptive to like, yeah. what can I do in the world to, to help, you know? True. Uh, we'll another part to that question, if I can jump in here. Yeah. If somebody's sort of getting into the spiritual journey, yoga, meditation, the whole health thing, and they're finding they want to go to the next level, take that jump, or whether they're teaching, or whether they're stepping out into their full purpose, and whatever that means for them, um, but they always find that 
their beliefs around money or mm-hmm. if they can make it or that sort of thing or they find that living a double life where you're working in the corporate world but you're also living this and they yeah. don't really come across. Yeah. How does one begin to be able to make that jump to really break out of that mold mm-hmm. and completely change? Yeah. Be fully in it. Or did you experience something similar in your life where you had to make yeah, that jump? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, when I first started teaching yoga, I wasn't making much money at all, at all. Um, and actually, I, I, I was in a state of mind and, and I, I was quite peaceful with that. I was okay with that just because of the choices I'd made and I was doing just so much yoga that I actually felt pretty okay with that, which I'm, I'm grateful for because um, before that I, I was very anxious about money and... Um, yeah, I just relaxed into this uh, kind of freedom around money, which um, felt nice. Mm. But it can be tough. It can be. I meet a lot of teachers where they've made that leap. Um, they've left their corporate job or they've left, they've left their nine-to-five job where they've had a, um, a predictable wage. They know what's coming in each week. And then all of a sudden, you don't know. You know, like it's day to day in a way. Um, And that can be scary. That can be really challenging. Um, For me, on a personal level, like I didn't really have that predictable income. So I I can't quite put my feet into those shoes. I've always like just, um, it's just been day to day, week to week Mm. since personal training days and then into yoga. It's been like, if you don't, put in the work, you're not going to get the money. You know, it's just this exchange of energy. I think that can help people, Mm. that exchange of energy, looking at money as this currency of energetic exchange can help. Um, What could also help? Mm. Um, So a lot of people when they're on the path and they're, they're starting to feel more connected to spirit, um, feel that compulsion to, to leave their job and, and just focus on, um, on the, the, the path, which is cool. But I do invite the potential of playing with keeping the old job and bringing the path into that job. Yeah. Um, and Ramdas talked a lot about this as well, actually, which... He planted a lot of seeds of what I talk with a lot of students and clients that are sick of their job. I just encourage like, okay, before you leave the job, can you just play with the potential of, of bringing the yoga into that job? Maybe not on the sticky mat and the meditation cushion, but like uh, doing your, your practices while you're at the computer or while you're having that board meeting. Um, Cause that could potentially be part of the solution of like bringing love and bringing compassion and bringing wisdom into the mining industry mm-hmm. rather than us just doing it over here. Yeah. Maybe people can do their thing and bring it into their job because yeah. we can't all be meditation teachers and plant medicine facilitators and yoga teachers. We, maybe we can, but um, some people need to keep their day job. And um, that's just a recommendation to play with. Mm. 
Otherwise, if you're just giving it all up and taking the full leap, you got to own it. You got to just go for it. Um, daily practices are crucial because again and again, if we're living in this world where we got bills to pay and responsibilities, um, it can be challenging. Yeah. It can be challenging. It, and that, that's where the Tantra comes into it for me of really integrating into daily life and sure. quote-unquote ordinary life. Because classically, the path was you give it all up. Mm. You go to the monastery, you go to the ashram, you go to the teepee, yeah. you go to the mountains shave or whatever. And... Shave your head <laughs> and just give it all up. Mm. And there's in that model, that monastic model, you give up all responsibilities yeah. and you just focus on God. You just focus on spirit. Um, whereas if you're, you're diving into this role, um, maybe as a teacher or a facilitator or healer or, or something like that, um, it's a real balancing act of like um, working skillfully with money and working skillfully with time and then balancing that with going deeper and deeper into spirit. It, it's not, um, not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. It's a real practice. Did you have yeah. a, a mentor or someone to help you guide you in the, the money-making sphere mm -hmm. of business around spirituality? Or did, was it all just sort of... Nah, not really. I mean, my wife Jo is really good with it, um, just naturally. She, when she has a vision, um, it's often a real true vision and she just does it and it's bang on wow. and... Do you guys work zone. together? In yeah, the we field? do. Okay, yeah, so a lot. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And how did being a parent change your perception on that team and also money and business and the whole world in general? Oh, it changed everything. Yeah. So before becoming a parent, I, I didn't think about money at all. And I didn't really need to that much. Mm. To pay rent and pay for this and that, yeah. But um, I would do enough sessions enough yoga classes um to make that those ends meet and then i just wouldn't think about it it was a it was a great time i'm grateful for that time of just doing heaps of yoga i'd either be practicing yoga teaching yoga and um just making enough money to um to live well and then i wouldn't think about it much but then when I had kids, that changed the whole game. Got to, um, got to be much more skillful than, than, I, than I was. And it took a little while. Mm. It took the first year. It was tough. Um, what were the emotions that were coming up for you that were driving the change? I mean, I was grateful to be a dad. And it was, it was a paradox of it being blissful and beautiful. At the same time, I was feeling that, that primal um, push of like, you're a father now. Like, you gotta, you got to step mm -hmm. up. You can't, just, you can't just float fully now. Mm -hmm. you got to have your feet on the earth. Because mm -hmm. um, I was very floaty before that. Yeah. Probably a, a little bit too much. It wasn't um, functional in being a father. Mm -hmm. Would have been a shit father if I kept going that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, would have been like selfish, you know? Yeah, uh, I got to, yes, got to go sense. do my yoga. Like, I'm not changing that nappy. I got my yoga to do. I've got to stay centered. <laughs> yeah. It possibly would have been very selfish. So uh, it was a process of like, it wasn't too emotional. 
I was just feeling that um, that kind of resistance that comes with that next level of growth and development in which um, you know, maybe a little bit of overwhelm of like, whew, okay, you got a little one to be responsible for now. It's not just about you now and your students and all that and your work. And it's like, you got to look after this little one. So it just felt like a great opportunity and like time to step up, time to ground your feet on the earth. And then um, I'm grateful that I've been doing it all enough and had a good enough reputation that the work was flowing and yeah, there was a nice, and continues to be a nice just flow of giving and receiving and, um, but it can, it took a little bit of time of shifting from just me to now, not you're a householder, a dad and a husband and, um, yeah, there weren't a lot. There's more now, but 10 years ago, there wasn't, in my perception, a lot of role models for people that were going deep, deep into spirit and being a family man. Mm-hmm. Um, Ram Dass didn't do it that way. But then, like, because when I would come to him for advice, it's like, I don't know. I didn't do it that way. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like he, he, he married Joe and I and he, he said, this isn't how I did it, but you two, you're on a tandem path to God. Mm. You're, you're doing it together and you're doing it in family. Um, so we look at like family as like part of the, part of the path, part of the mm. practice. So I don't really need to get away from the family to get my fix of mm. spirituality. Like it's all now integrated oh, okay. but that took a little while it took mm. um took a couple years of um resistance and working with it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah do you feel like you're way more productive now than you were without kids no, no. okay <laughs> no. yeah i mean in a way yeah but in a way it's yeah. just different okay it's so just yeah. different my, like my priorities are different yeah, yeah. um Time is precious. It's not so much about how much can I produce in a day or a week. It's like precious moments of, mm. of yeah, getting shit done and being productive, but also like just time, time yeah. playing with the kids, time reading them a book. Whereas before, it was like um, uh, the first couple years, uh, it took it took a little while to shift around those priorities and. Mm. And I'd be out teaching every night rather than tucking them into bed and reading a book, you know, mm, whereas uh, it took a little while to dial in the timing of like, okay, get a whole lot of sessions in and podcasts and do what you need to do in the morning mm. or the afternoon. And then the other half of the day, like do your practices, be with your kids, drop them off Beautiful. at school. Like it's a ba- balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel that uh, when you had your kids, your definition of love changed? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How, would you do, how would you describe yeah. it? Well, so there's the love that Ramdas embodied that is just like cosmic, spiritual 
love beyond form, like which I had sensitized to and, and continued to really enjoy. But that love for my children, it's, it's that and something else. It's that yeah. deep spiritual love and this like primal love, this attached love like because the 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 non-dual like love of the heart that oops sorry i'm tapping that mic um that has no attachment that's just like the the love of the universe it's totally free yeah but the love of my child that's that universal love and this attached love this like i would do anything for you and like i'd be i'd be like like the contemplation of them dying like is just bone rattling it's different yeah it's different yeah, yeah. um different and the same it's a, yeah it's, it's indescribable and um it's just a different kind of love at the same time it includes that 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 love i had felt prior and i'm grateful for being brought up with a lot of love <laughs> yeah. uh, with, with my, my parents are incredibly loving and I'm grateful I got siblings, like a lot of love. I was brought up yeah. with a lot of love. And, um, but that love for our own child, um, that's a whole, whole, whole other thing for yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, I think mm-hmm. there was a saying that um, when you have your first child with your wife, you have to remember that you loved your wife first. Totally. Yeah, because yeah. it's such a profound feeling of having your first child that mm-hmm. it just kind of like encapsulates everything Yeah, no else. doubt. Yeah. And that's important, man. That's yeah. so important. I mean, so many uh, relationships and marriages fall apart, I think, because we forget that. Yeah. And then the stresses of life and the responsibilities of kids. And then um, it's so easy to forget that love for, for your beloved. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a big one. That's a good quote, man. Yeah, mm. yeah. When you talk about the heart and a lot of your shows, or it's not shows, I can't what it's called, but um, workshops or events you do are based on the heart. What exactly is the heart mm. when you really break it down and what can it do once we really begin to tap into it? Yeah. So, I mean, we can begin by bringing attention there. Mm. So in Buddhism, they talk about the heart mind. They're not so obsessed with the thinking mind. Mm. They, they, they include it, but they talk a lot about the heart mind and this vibe and intelligence of this part of our body, the literal center of our chest. Mm. Uh, we, can, we can learn to locate it. And so with our breathing, um, most of us totally close the heart because we're just, we haven't, learn to reopen them Mm. and we've gone through school and we've gone through work and we've gone through just society um building up trauma and building up tension and just more and more stuff of the mind and we can think of it as this like armor around the heart Mm. and we're trying to locate it but it's buried under all this shit and all this armor so for most of us it's this process of breaking through that armor 
and remembering the heart, literally locating it with our attention, yeah. the heart mind, or in yoga, it's in Sanskrit, it's called the Haridayam, the spiritual heart. And, and then it's a process of waking it up, mm. waking it up. Who well, knows? Well, why do we cover it in armor for? I understand that sort of concept of protecting ourselves, protecting our heart, when really yeah. it's... Our life, the ego, the mind. I mean, say like, I mean, it's complicated. Say um, we've been brought up in an abusive household and we've just seen abuse. That's mm -hmm. one reason. Yeah, like, so a lot of people from birth, from way back, they've been just developing these coping mechanisms. Mm. Uh, to stay safe, yeah. To, well, the illusion of staying safe, um, and that's what it is. It's the this armoring of the ego because mm. dad hurt me, or mum hurt me, or everyone's hurt me. Um, so for many of us, it's environmental, and from way back. Mm. And then if we haven't had the support and the experiences or the the practices to deal with that trauma. For most of us, it's then just more and more trauma through childhood, through teenagehood. And then we, if we don't have anything to shock us out of that. So for me, it was that, that, that drug overdose that felt like a, the equivalent of um, uh, like shock therapy. Like, wake up. Yeah. Um, so why do we do it? I mean, it's so complex, but... Like you brought up the thing of like all the wars and all the like mm. life, you know, that it, it, if we are looking at all that, it's mm. scary. It's scary. Yes. And if we don't, if we can't look at it all, it all, mm. all the horror in the world and not regulate it, most mm. of us, we like deaden the heart and we close it and we armor it mm. and we're just, oh, we just don't want to feel. We don't want to feel. And from that standpoint, life's really threatening and really scary. Mm. And then we've got these coping mechanisms of alcohol and drugs to finally get some kind of release. And it's, it's, it's quite a paradox because the way I look at it is all the trouble in the world and the wars and all that kind of stuff that sort of makes us paranoid or freak out to put more armor on. Our heart could fix that. We wouldn't feel yeah. that way with it open. That's right. But it's sort of it's what we need the most, but we keep deadening it. Yeah. Just, so yeah, the ego gets scared, doesn't it? how the mind yeah. interprets life. It's just, right. Yeah. Well, it's understandable. We are these primates. Mm. Um, it's quite interesting how quick we have evolved um, mm. into where we are now. So we're these primal creatures where we need that, that fight or flight type mechanism in our nervous system to, to react. Yeah. Um, but now, if that fight, flight, freeze isn't regulated, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. So yeah, you're totally right. Um, if we can get that taste of the spiritual heart, mm. we then have the insight and the realization that we don't need all this armor. Yeah. And then we can relax and let it go. But if we haven't had that realization, we think we need that armor. Like it's just protecting our ego and our mind and just everyone's scary, you know? Mm. And um, yeah, we gotta, we gotta 
taste it for ourselves, you know? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned the word Tantra. How would you define Tantra? Because there's a lot of um, confusion around what right. it actually means. Mm-hmm. But how would you define it? For me, similar to yoga, like yoga has countless definitions, mm. countless. Um, Tantra, similar, mm. endless definitions. But to sum it up, it is being in our senses at the same time beyond them, mm. being integrated, uh, being in the world but not of the world. Um, it's all about embodiment and integration mm. of being able to access spirit beyond form mm. at the same time, all of our bodily primal functions wow. are integrated as well. So being fully embodied in the physical vessel and connected to spirit at the same time. Yeah. Because usually I find it's one or the other. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Without a doubt. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyone in Tantra you'd recommend to go and see or work with? Yeah. Um, so for me, I've had more like classical Tantra teachers, so Sally Kempton, Tara Judell. Um, are they in Perth? Are they like they're, they're not, no. Okay. So I met Tara in Bali, actually. She's a nomad. She travels around the world. You can look her up. Tara Judell, Embodied Flow. Mm-hmm. Um, Sally Kempton, same thing. I met her in California. Uh, she's based there. Mm-hmm. But she's got a lot of online content. If you're yearning for a bit more like classical tantra um sally kempton's a great teacher for that she's awesome um david data has been a teacher many many people in the scene have seeked out he's been a real leader in tantra in the modern day and it's it's beautiful it's beautiful um it seems to have lit a fire of what we see a lot of with um, mm. the more because uh, he does bring a lot of the sexuality into it, which is great. We need that, yeah. that, that growth and development in being spiritual beings, but also being sexual beings yeah. and really being... Um, usually they're held opposite. You yeah. Know, the things are sort of like... Um, that's right. That's lust or debauchery or that's... You've got to... What do you call it? No fab, hold your seat, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, he's um, great in that. Balancing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David Data. Um, a lot of people, for whatever reason, I don't know why, um, have been poo-pooing his teachings. Uh, again, I don't know why. Feel free to enlighten me. Um, <laughs> but I think he's great. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sally Kempton, real classical teacher. Nice. Um, like the wisdom of Tantra. Mm. Uh, Tara Judell. Same. Nice. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And you have a podcast yourself. Yeah. Yeah. When did that start and how did that come about? I got into that um, a few years ago now. I don't know. I just felt like it. Yeah. I was listening to some great podcasts and, mm. and just felt like it. Just felt like having conversations like this mm. and um, getting real with people and connecting. And I, yeah, it was just a, just a vision and a feeling and. Well, when you first started, you're talking to a lot of amazing people living purpose-driven lives. Did you find it hard to, what do you take on board and what don't you take on board? Because mm. I found I'm speaking to so many people, so many different fields, I'm like, well, right. I love to take things on. Yeah. When it's so much information, you can't take it on. Totally. Yeah. Do you find a similar experience with that? or? Um, 
Or do you sort of just have a bit of more withdrawn no, I mean, conversation? I haven't found it too tricky, mainly because the guests I've had on have been um, either teachers or peers or friends, and it's just an organic conversation and we're just nice. vibing. Oh, um, okay. yeah, yeah, mainly. Mm. Uh, but when I do bump up against uh, views that I, I like to work with it as a practice of mm. compassionate listening and just discern, dis, discernment yeah. of like of seeing when that um, that reactivity comes up of like, oh, this person has a different view to me mm. and like regulating it in the moment of just yeah compassionate listening yeah and then voicing my opinion and having a great conversation we need mm. that shit True. it's yeah, good 100%. and we don't need to absorb it all if we're mm. if we're seeing the bullshit in it yeah, yeah. <laughs> let it go you know yeah, and hear them out and um yeah yeah how do you go about um healthy confrontation where something goes up against your views but you don't want to obviously shut it down but speak about it healthily yeah. or when things sort of cross your boundaries how do you approach that Oh, it depends on the day, to be oh, honest. Really? Yeah, it does. On like a, on a bad day. On a bad day, I I, I feel it, mm. and um, I feel the uh, the righteousness and the yeah, I I feel all that. Mm. But on a good day, it's like um, again, just that that compassionate listening. Mm. Uh, Ken Wilber, another great teacher of mine. Um, has this practice of, has this perception of everyone is right. Everyone in what they're saying and their view of the world or their view of a situation has a nugget of truth. They might not be completely right or ultimately right, but there's some kind of relative truth yeah. there. I can definitely see that. Yeah. yeah. There's certain things that have happened like in the last few years where people sort of split down the middle, you know? Yeah. And it's very hard to reach that common ground when it's sort of so black and white, yeah. in a sense. But how do you go about speaking your truth right. in times where you're feeling that charge or the people pleasing coming up and yeah. it's like, whoa, I'm feeling nervous right now. Mm -hmm. and sometimes we just shy away and don't say it, but you need to really own it. Yeah, yeah, Have you totally. had that experience pop up in your... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it, um, I think in certain situations that charge can be of benefit mm. and like certain situations but a lot it doesn't serve and the best thing we can do is work on ourselves, and we can do that in the moment for mm. feeling that charge yeah that um so that's where our, our practices can help us keep that kind of clarity mm. to discern how to respond yeah rather than if there's no consciousness flowing and we're just on fight, flight, freeze, reactivity, mm. we've got no choice. We're just gonna react mm. or we're gonna freeze and run away. It's gonna be something like that. So that's why we need our practices, to get True. consciousness flowing. Then we'll have a choice, otherwise mm. we, we pretty much don't have a choice. It's just yeah. something that's triggered us and we're either it's gonna yeah, we're just going to react and another, how we can react. Another question for you, which I'm very curious to ask yeah. you. If you had like um, a network or a platform, you could speak to a billion people or maybe the whole world mm. within five minutes, had like one message to send, what would you actually send out if you were on everyone's TV mm -hmm. screens? 
Or would you just opt out or would you take the opportunity and say one message? Yeah, I'd send a message if the invitation's there. And um, yeah, 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 sure. Well, what do you think you'd say in that? Just that one little moment to say that one message. One little moment. Again, I've got to think about it a bit if it's that one message and there's that many people. True. Um, but it'd be something along the lines of there's just so much hate in the world and it's not helping. So much divisiveness, so much hate. Mm. And when we actually connect and look people in the eye and actually have a conversation, Mm. we're all more similar than we think. And even someone we might hate in terms of the the projection of them and maybe the social media um, divide. And when we actually slow down and connect, um, it's pretty hard to hate someone. When you truly look them in the eyes and feel their their, their humanity in their heart, we need more of that. So I I would talk about that and where we were before of be the change you want to see in the world, you know, like be accountable, be be honest, be kind, like these principles that can easily get forgotten. Mm. Um, But to do that in a way that isn't righteous and isn't dogmatic and just ranting down the throats of people, because that that doesn't land, not for many anyway. So it'd be tricky, you know, in that one moment, I would I would think of the, the vibe round us embodied of like wasn't forcing wisdom down people's throats. Mm. I, I'd, I'd work on just that, that, that loving, compassionate, kind vibe, which is tricky through a camera, but it's mm. possible. Yeah. And then um, invite that, that opening of the heart. And, mm. yeah. Beautiful, man. Thank I don't beautiful. know exactly what I'd say. No, putting <laughs> on the spot there. Yeah, but, but did yeah. you have long hair before? Because I remember you with yeah. long hair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. How long was it? Oh, not too long. I've had phases of, uh, oh, I just I let it grow out. Maybe it got to yeah. about here. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then so gradually a bit shorter, then buzz it off. Was it a hard yeah. thing to, to cut off? It actually wasn't. I felt really ready just to, mm. my daughters actually just did it and um, pulled out the, the buzzer and mm. went for it. Yeah, it was, it was nice actually. It was quite liberating yeah. and then a bit confronting when I looked in the mirror, but mainly liberating. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah. That would have been a fun day. For yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a fun day. I bet they, they would have loved that. Yeah, it was fun. yeah. actually. No, they, they were like, we preferred you better with longer hair. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> A bit of br- brutal child honesty. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're brutally honest all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Though. Yeah. That is helpful, actually. Yeah, 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 it's great. But just all love, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're coming from a, 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 a true, authentic, and genuine place. Yeah. Yeah, they still have no fear of, oh, what is he going to think about this? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, but I wonder if the world would be different if we all functioned in the, in the child state in terms of, like, Authenticity and genuinity. Yeah. I, I thought about this and I heard a good quote where it's like the difference between speaking truth and speaking truth in love. You can be very blunt with truth, but if you're speaking truth in love, it's yeah. sort of like how can you soften that totally. that truth when it could just yeah. you know, right break somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one last question for you. What was your experience like with masculine? Or masculine or however you Oh, masculine. Masculine, um, masculine. Yeah, the cactus. 
Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, so my journey with it, pre-having kids, I was doing a lot of ayahuasca, any chance I could. How and much from, is a lot? Like once a year? Uh, <laughs> every couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did you yeah. get it so readily available? Or were you traveling? Uh, it's, it's, it's happening. Okay. Yeah, it's around. Head up into the... The hills and you you weren't really in south america or you you were in australia no i mean i i i've done it a few times in the americas and in hawaii um yeah so th that was okay. very good for me and Beautiful. um was really uh, in in my experience of it like the the energy of it and many people regard the ayahuasca as like the grandmother mm. and it felt like that to me this real grandmother wisdom and this real shakti feminine vitality and then just intuitively once um becoming a husband and, <laughs> she, me. Sorry, man. and a dad um started doing more cactus more masculine okay. and it, it, that's often referred to as the grandfather mm. and um i found the experience of it much more grounding and mm. strengthening and I actually do, I started doing that, um, yeah, in the first few years of becoming a dad. And I, I do actually feel it helped me become a more grounded and mm. thriving dad. Wow. Yeah. Well. So yeah. Um, I, I, I find it to be a more like grounded clarity. Beautiful. Yet the ayahuasca, more of a dynamic, visionary um, mm blissful heart opening kind of explosive experience uh, that's what i found it to be beautiful because i remember like a couple yeah. of years ago i woke up in the morning and i had like a little vision and it was like do masculine or i'm like whoa that's mm. interesting I was like, yeah very loud and pronounced i still haven't done it mm -hmm. <laughs> but i've been seeing cactuses pop up and it's coming in my in my field at the moment right. is there a difference between peyote san pedro and masculine they're, um, well, they all the they've same. all got mes the mescaline compound in it, okay. in them, but they're just different types of cactus. Mm. So the, the peyote is um, that they're kind of real, they're really fragile in mm. certain environments and they take a lot longer to grow. Okay. So that's the little button oh, yeah. that nice. very gradually gets bigger. They look beautiful. Um, Which was the one that you did that you said you had a lot of benefit from? I've done both, okay. but I've done more of the San Pedro. Okay. Yeah. What would you recommend to me? <laughs> well, San Pedro is more readily available. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what was the, had the best impact on you or the best experience? They've all, all oh, of really? them. I can't, I can't say which. Mm. Um, every journey has been just a little bit different and mm. every journey of, of okay. such benefit. I try yeah. Both then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the way it has felt within my experience because of the yoga practice and then going into the, the plant medicine journey with the yoga practices, mm. it, each journey, especially when it's a good solid dose, like it's a full psychedelic journey, like multiple hours, um, has felt like an extended retreat. So I've done many yoga retreats, some two weeks, some a month, some three months. Um, it's felt like multiple weeks retreat in that one sitting. Oh, wow. Of working through stuff and 
blissful mm. moment and insight and then working through some more stuff and grounding. It's wow. like this deep inner work. Um, Sounds really needed in today's society where yeah. we don't have three months to go away. That's know? right. Yeah. It, mm. it can, again, with the right set and setting. And I think it does help if we've got some practices, some tools in our tool belt, so to speak, mm. to work with the experience and then integrate it. Yeah. Because one thing, and I've seen a lot of it, of having this big explosive experience, but then um, not integrating it. And then mm. uh, we're just kind of waiting for the next trip. Mm. So oh. for me, that, that's really important. Good set and setting, skillfully done, and then mm, integrate. integration. Beautiful. Yeah. Would you awesome. say the integration element is just as important as the actual trip? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man, I've, I've seen I've seen dear friends and I've seen people in the community, um, which just from observing, it actually hasn't looked like the plant medicine is helping them. Yeah. Um, because of that lack of integration. And because it's just it's so unraveling and it's so big. Um, I've seen quite a few people left like unraveled and not put back to not put back, back together yeah, yeah. to function in the world. Um, mm. And then even uh, to the point where these certain dark perceptions of the world have gotten even darker, yeah. kind of like ostracized themselves from the world. So they're not to be fucked with. Like I used to think they were for everyone. Like phew, yeah. if the whole world just took a whole dose of LSD. mushrooms, <laughs> LSD or something, it would be a better world, which it could be. But some people, it's, mm, I don't think it's for them. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So I'm all for like a little bit of like discernment leading up to it. Of yeah. like, got to kind of have you ha ha have some things in place. Maybe, maybe it's yoga, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's therapy, maybe it's something to just like, um, I don't think it's the, the, the full holy grail. It can be, yeah. but um, it, it can really screw with people as well. Mm. Yeah. Even yeah. The, right, the right people around you as well, yeah. like your friends and partners and things like that would yeah. be crucial in those moments of integration yeah. because you don't want to be dropped back into the matrix, so to speak, with an unsupportive household. Yeah. That's right. It can be very scary to um, have no one to share what you're experiencing with. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah integration is huge. It's powerful stuff, yeah. 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 I think that's always one of the challenges is integration, especially like when you have such a powerful experience with like ayahuasca mushrooms. You have all these new insights and then trying to come back into your going back to work the next day. Mm -hmm. How do you like put all of that together yeah. in like a very in, the, in a way that's digestible and you can live your everyday life? Yeah. Difficult, it's yeah. very it difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah, I've had this fear around um, LSD for some reason. Yeah. I've never really had it. I had a pill once that was laced with some kind of synthetic psychedelic, mm. which really rocked me. But it did awaken me to a level, but it was right. not the best way, you know. Yeah. But have you have you tried LSD? Yeah. And what are your thoughts on it as a synthetic, and how is Ramdas using it and mm -hmm. integrating it into society? Right. So Ramdas's journey with LSD. Um, so he was a Harvard professor in psychology. And this was before the war on drugs when LSD was, um, was quite new and it was like the wonder drug and it wasn't outlawed yet 
So they were doing legitimate um, scientific studies with it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, um, and he, which is coming back into full circle. It's happening yeah. now as well. Mm. And I've gotten beyond that, that few decades of the war on drugs. But um, so he was doing the scientific studies. Him and Timothy Leary had a psychedelic experience with it. Mm. And from their experience, the way they put it is they learnt more from that one trip than they did in all of their PhDs and all of their studies. They learnt more in that one experience. So they, um, they, they became obsessed with it and mm. took it to like the, 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 the edge of what I think is possible right. of taking LSD. A quick, quick insert there. Yeah. Do they have that experience only because they were educated and had PhDs and that sort of thing? Because if you, or were they just right. going yeah, through their own mind in a sense or was it the drug itself? Yeah, I mean, good question. Pr yeah. Pr uh, a bit of both, I think. But yeah. I think we've all got our kind of um, canvas of what, what's already being laid out mm. in our mind and our perspectives and yeah. all of that. But they... Um, they took it to a whole nother level. They were doing LSD a lot. Mm. Um, so I haven't done it that much. I've done it a few yeah. times. Mm. And each, each LSD experience has been beautiful, wow. incredibly beneficial. I'm not, I'm not drawn to it like I have been with the plant medicines. Mm. I think mainly because it is synthetic. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of fear of like, the quality, like quality control, there's a lot that's of shit true, out yeah. there. You can't yeah. go to the pharmacy and get a, get a, that's get right. a trust some guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, um, but I've done it a few times. It's been great. Love the feeling. Um, had beautiful visionary experiences and bliss and wow. all for it if it's good quality mm. and a good set and setting. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. is, there, is there a question you wish people would ask you more often? Well, on that regard. On oh. any regard, I suppose. Yeah. Um, nah, your questions have been great, both of you. Yeah. These have been awesome questions, and uh, yeah. I'm loving this. Uh, you can ask me these questions every day, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Sweet, a question. I mean, that feels huge. The integration piece. The integration like, how, how can I, how can I bring the yoga into my household how can i bring it into my workplace how can i how can i be of service in the world those questions i think are mm. huge for people how can i yeah. get more in touch with my purpose and, yeah and these aren't quick fixes you know these are mm. things we got to really chew on and um and dive deep into regularly yeah. so they're not quick answers it's like no let's let's talk about this shit for a while and let's mm. really um come up with some ways you you don't just read about it conceptually, but actually put it into motion. Yeah. 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 Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Mm. I have one more. Um, what advice would you give to, some, to a young person who's trying to learn a bit more about spirituality? Let's say it's like their first week, and um, they're feeling some sort of pull towards this, but they also have to fight like their um, surroundings. So let's say your family, your friends. So you'd be the only person who's venturing into a totally new realm, what mm -hmm. type of advice would you give someone who's going through that journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, there's so much, there's so much. And um, a lot of the 
teachings that I'm into now, when I'm vibing off it and, and recommend it to some people that are earlier on in the path, um, it just doesn't land, it doesn't digest. So yeah. I got to think about what helped me in the early days was um, Dr. Wayne Dyer was really helpful yeah. in the early days. Um, He's a boss, yeah. Yeah, he, he, the way he would talk about these deep teachings really landed with me um, and still do, but it was very helpful in the early yeah. days. Yeah. Um, Tony Robbins, even though um, it, he can fixate a lot on more the motivational piece and the money piece, um, I found it helpful to just kind of get um, motivation flowing. And then yeah. if you listen deeply enough, he ends up going into deeper spiritual teachings um, eventually. So looking back to my earlier days, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Tony Robbins, and a great teacher, Stuart Wilde. Um, yeah, yeah uh, even though it's, it can be way out there, very esoteric and really out there. I vibed with it in the early days, yeah. um, but it's going to be different for everyone depending on their conditioning up to that point, their experiences. Yeah. Some people vibed straight into Be Here Now with Ramdas and the deep teachings. Um, but for many, there's just no reference point. It doesn't digest. It's too, 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 too out yeah. there, too deep. Um, doesn't make sense. So um, possibly starting with Wayne Dyer and maybe just some simple breathing exercises. Because once we can, like I said before, just breathe well, it quiets the mind and we're much more able to absorb uh, the wisdom yeah and it not be so uh, us not be so distracted so um, potentially those teachers and finding a, a, a breathing technique Breath okay yeah. yeah and it could be okay. as simple as like box breaths just four seconds in hold it for four seconds four seconds out Hold it out for four seconds. You do that enough times, you're going to feel pretty darn good and receptive and um, ready to dive into some teachings. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's mm. good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew more about breathing. That's, that's yeah. 90 minutes, bro. We're going to, going to call it, man. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. It's been great. Really Thank you. Time, oh, likewise. It's yeah. been lovely. Thank you Thank so you much. Guys. It was Welcome. beautiful.